Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Shadow Eraser Poetry Hour. I am Carla, who you can find on uh, on Instagram at shadow underscore scribing. I am joined again by my amazing co-host, uh, no underscore eraser, also known as Adam Champion. And uh, you can find us uh, on the web at www.shadoweraserpoetry.com and on Instagram at shadow underscore eraser, uh, which is the official Instagram of our happy little podcast here. And with that, I will turn it over to my co-host to introduce tonight's guest. Take it away, Adam. Hi there, friends and enemies, if you're listening as well. You're welcome here. Tonight, we're going to be chatting with B.B. Ezra Writes and Speaks. Now, B.B. Ezra is a self-proclaimed poet from the Midwest. She finds words and carries them with her. Sometimes they get written down. Her book, Carved, which is the book that we will be discussing at length today, is available for purchase on Amazon. B.B., thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's great. I've wanted to have you on for a while now, so I'm, I'm really glad that we finally got around to it. Um, let's let's talk about how I first came across your work. Uh, now, I'd seen your work on Instagram uh, occasionally in the past, and I always enjoyed the spoken word uh, performances that that you gave or sp- spoken word pieces that you gave. I thought those were brilliant. But believe it or not, the uh, I guess the thing that you did that really kind of invested me into your work was a uh, a uh, it was a, a challenge. It was a prompt, and that prompt had to do with noir. And I, I remember that you and another co-host that skips my mind at this time, you guys did these fantastic promos for that. And it's a subject that's like near and dear to my heart because I mean, hell, I'm working on a detective noir novel myself. And, you know, I cut my teeth on like Dick Tracy and The Shadow when I was younger. And uh, watching, you know, how you read the work during that, that particular live was inspiring in the fact that you gave care to those pieces. And, and, and I'll get to your work as well here in just a second. But that's something particularly for me that really stood out from a lot of the other lives that I've come across in the past on Instagram or even spoken word performances. Sometimes poetry gets read in almost a laundry list fashion. And I think it does a great disservice to the written word uh, and the, the spoken talent that that is connected to poetry. What is it in our poetry community that sort of drew you to wanting to do these sort of lives uh, what, what about that was attractive to you? That was with, um, I think the one you're talking about was with, uh, Emily from Light and Life Poetry. I think that's the one. And we, uh, with that one in particular, we both have a love for vintage film and, um, all of that and noir and the shadow. It was like, wait a minute. I'm a comic book nerd. So thank you for anytime you want to throw a reference in, you can, <laughs> um, I, but being drawn to do the lives for other uh, poets, I did feel my first experience, and I can't even remember who it was with as far as seeing it happen. Um, it was another poet who I befriended, and he was um, uh, from Pakistan. And um, it was hard for him to read his own work, and he was sort of excited to go on and hear it read on another live. And when he, when it was on, I, I went on with him and it was kind of rushed. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it gets kind of rushed. And I think there was a little disappointment. And he kind of said, ah, that's okay. It, it's always sort of that way. And I don't know. I have a theater background and I just really love people and I love poetry. I just love the heck out of poetry. I, it, that was my favorite thing in English when we hit the poetry section. I just, and I love Shakespeare. I've always just really been drawn to that kind of more classic poetry even, but just in general. Um, and I thought I can do this. I can go on and I can, I can read this. And that's when I sort of started hopping on and just doing like reads for it. And people responded really positively. So I kept going and then ended up getting bigger and bigger with it because I can't not. And um, that's how that happened with M. Yeah. 
That's awesome. I, I think it's really interesting that you, you know, let us know about that theater background because it actually kind of gives us a little bit of a clue as to, I think, why your readings a lot of times are set apart. Um, a lot of us are just kind of going at this blind, I, myself included. When I do my reads, I just try to do the best I can. I don't really have any classical training. I haven't taken any classes, but I, I do know that in theater, presence is incredibly important. Because I, I might not be an actor, but I'm a huge lover of film and stage in general. And presence and intentional care with your lines are incredibly important when it comes to that sort of background. So that that's a that's a little hint there that kind of gives our, our listeners an idea of where that comes from. So I appreciate that background. If I may jump in, Adam, I find that you do excellently at your spoken pieces. I, I think I don't think a theatrical background is required to read with passion. I it think all comes it's... from a place of pain and suffering. <laughs> that's what it is. It's pain and suffering. No, I, I do. That's that's deflection, my dear listeners. No, I do appreciate it. Thank you very much for the compliment. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of really excellent spoken artists on Instagram, but it is because they read it with with heart and passion and connect mm -hmm. with the piece. That's the thing. Yeah. Before we dig into your particular pieces, let's talk about this Midwest background. Is that a place that you have always been from? Did you find yourself planted there through some circumstance of life? I grew up in Ohio. I went to uh, school in Indiana. I have lived on the East Coast uh, for a little minute, um, and I spent some time in Chicago when I was more active in theater. <clears throat> I don't know if any of that shows in how I talk. I don't think it does. <laughs> Midwest, definitely. Yeah, Midwest. Not so much the Chicago. I was born yeah, there. Not the, uh, not the yeah, not <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes I say soda and people are like, oh, it's lovely. You know, that's the only thing I brought back with me from New Hampshire is that I say soda instead of pop. Pop. All right. BB says soda. Carla, what do you say? Soda, yeah. definitely. I'm from soda. Jersey. I'm, where are you from? I'm, Jersey. Jersey. Yes. I'm from Kentucky and I say soda, too. Yeah, but my more my more hill dwelling brethren probably just say Coke. I've heard that a lot around here. Hey, grab me a Coke. Doesn't matter if there's a Sprite in the cooler or not. It's Coke. <laughs> it's Coke. But yeah, <laughs> one get, get me one of the orange Cokes. <laughs> yes, I've heard that. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and here and from here, God forbid you say Taylor Ham. It, there's no such thing. There's no Taylor Ham. It is pork roll. <laughs> Roll. I'm lost, Carla. <laughs> Clue me in here. What is that? Oh, you you've never had pork roll? No. no. Oh, we, I we have, have send you country some. ham and biscuits. <laughs> this is something <laughs> so much better. All right, I, I I have to send you cases. Okay, I, you're getting you're getting a a, a roll of cases like as a T gift. Today's episode title: Pork Rolls and Soda with BB Ezra writes. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Pork roll and soda, not pop. Unbox them on on your podcast. You have to like open it up from her on the podcast and taste it. <laughs> We're actually planning on doing a, a penumbra. Is, is I'm sure I think that's how it's pronounced, Carla. Please yeah, help penumbra. me. Okay, uh, we're going to do like a roundtable episode where we have all of our past guests on, and we all just have a big chat. So maybe I'll do that for the that particular episode. The unboxing. Well, folks, this is a poetry podcast. I promise we're getting to it. Let's go ahead and jump right into our first piece from Carved by B.B. Ezra writes and speaks. We're going to start on page 96. And B.B., uh, do you mind if I read this one? No, by all means. All right. I am emptied of the need to understand eternity, freed from moorings, this hierarchy of attraction, the magnetic pull of sky and the endless voluminous waves that dictate reality. I am content with present tense, drawn instead to momentary pleasures that taste like the cocoa butter on my tongue. These trappings of a hermit Terrarian possessions carried in flesh sense. I too am flesh, 
bound together with string, frayed, its spindled threads predating the understanding measurement of breath and its relationship to the afternoon's sun warmth on our bared skin, even in this cold of October. BB, let's talk about God. (laughs) I want to go over this first line with you. I am emptied of the need to understand eternity and then followed up with a single word with a period after it freed let us in on on where this comes from and because because i'm curious i i know how i interpret that i know my own background and faith and my own uh past and in that sort of thing so i may interpret that in one way that it wasn't intended but can you can you let us know where that's coming from well, um, and I think just in passing, you and I have just sort of like in comments or whatnot, chatted a little bit about that sort of background. Um, I grew up um, very fundamentalist uh, Christian background, long hair, no makeup, no pants, you know, all that. Um, and in many ways was I played the piano. So when you can play the piano and sing in a culture like that, you are groomed. you are groomed to be a pastor's wife or whatever you know um so there was a lot of that and a lot of guilt a lot of guilt over um just everything Uh, you know like uh i remember gosh how like how much can i share (laughs) like how how deep can we go anything yeah absolutely okay so like as a kid i remember finding um these comics and there are people kissing in the comics. And I was like, I hid them in my room and I thought I'm going to hell for this, but I'm looking at these suckers. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, I'm going to check these out, you know? Um, and then there was another thing, you know, with a friend in school had given me one of those baby club, babysitters club books or whatever, you know, and that was like, I know I was going to hell for that one too. And so that was like a constant thing, always being worried that Jesus was going to come back after me and I wasn't going to be ready. And and I am not negating anyone's belief system whatsoever. I I believe faith is a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, and I, I think eternity is something to long for, but there is this uh, sense sometimes of it being a dreaded thing, this idea. And so I remember sitting and it's funny because I wasn't with anybody when I wrote the moment I wrote this poem about, I had been talking to a friend on the phone and was sitting outside and realized halfway through that conversation, I'm not cold. And I don't know what it was about the sensation of realizing I wasn't cold, realizing I kind of, I I had been working through some stuff. My dad had passed and I'd been working through some stuff. And I realized I don't feel guilty right now for anything. I don't feel like there's anything I have to apologize for. And that's kind of wonderful. Mm. So, yeah, that's a little bit of that freed from that part. And for I me, I, I love the um, anything with nautical, first of all, anything with nautical imagery catches my attention, um, mainly because I have so much of it in my own personal past and, and my family background. So I, I love the way you connect the imagery, especially saying free from the moorings. And um, one of my favorite places growing up, um, and I still go down there all the time to this day is, um, Long Beach Island and the place where I stay at the North end of the Island, they have an area called the Viking village because there was a huge Scandinavian settlement there, which had been charged with the fishing industry there for generations. Um, but my father or not my, my grandfather fished down there. I used to go on trips with friends, my parents, you know, fishing down there, vacationing down there. Um, but just seeing that, I remember just sitting on the docks there and seeing all the moored boats and how, like, kind of, you know, a ship is safe at harbor, but that's not what a ship is meant for, you know? So, you know what I mean? So not having the moorings is, I, li- I like that image and just the whole concept of, of being in the now. 
yeah. you know, just very much being present and in the now. So yeah, that, that was some great imagery there. Thank you for Thank sharing you. that. That's <laughs> a fantastic point, Carla. I, I really love that, you know, calling to the present tense. Uh, this is why I love this particular podcast, because I feel like every poem is a ball of string that we just get to kind of unravel. And, you know, as I read other people's work who are deeply serious about their craft, it, it speaks to my heart. And you know, what you were saying about that concept of being focused on eternity kind of brings me back to my own struggles in regards to, to my faith. And I've got two young sons and, and they've essentially been raised up alongside us, but I've always been very particular about this has to be a personal relationship that you choose. Mm -hmm. And my oldest boy, you know, comes to me with his struggles of, of faith and what he wants his ideology to be. And yeah, he, he tells me sometimes I just don't understand it. I, and I can't, I kind of explained to him, I don't understand it either, but we are, we are finite beings doing the best that we pitifully can to understand an infinite concept. Yeah. So there comes a point to where you're just beating your head against the wall. And there's a piece that comes with this mm -hmm. poem that if, even if you're an individual without faith, I think that everyone can, can kind of grow strong from. I really love the, the aspect of guilt you were talking about as well. I think guilt can be fantastic soil from which growth can can grow, and uh, you know you can you can use that to eat eat you up, or you can use it to to move along. And it's always encouraging when you can see a piece kind of evolve in this way. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no, you. you. Uh, I was probably just going to continue rambling. You're, you're fine. You can go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, um, it just ties into what you were kind of sharing and the idea of strings, the, the part with this, the frayed strings and the spindled threads for mm -hmm. me, that was, um, about, um, and I like that other people take a poem, however they want to take it. You know, I'm really big on that, but, um, it, it was the idea of infinity you know, the idea of string theory and the idea of an infinite universe that's, you know, it ties into faith in a lot of ways and into the ideas of eternity. But there's that sort of comprehension and understanding. Well, the Bible talks about a silver thread that's broken when someone passes. And, um, you know, then the idea of string theory, that there's so much interconnectedness at a very um, atomic level in our universe. Right. And so when I was sitting there thinking about it, writing the poem, this idea of emptying myself of eternity and instead bracing, embracing the waves that come in mm -hmm. and the idea of strings and mooring and eternity turning into almost infinity instead of eternity. You know what I mean? Like that yeah, absolutely. like a lot of busy work there, but um, it was more the idea of I don't have to feel guilt over something that I'm so connected to. I am mm. I am part of this. I have my own place in it. And instead of constantly fighting for a place in it, I was in that moment embracing the moment of being able to accept that I had that place as being part of a more infinite whole. And I really was grateful for that, I guess it's and that's one of the cool things about these pieces that are kind of about the bigger messages too. I, I love the cozy poems, but mm -hmm. you know what you're talking about. I mean, it, it, if, even if you take faith out of the equation and you look at things on a physics level, you know, with mm -hmm. things like quantum entanglement, you have atoms that are connected through this invisible thread, like you were saying across vast distances. And, you know, if I'll, I'll deposit this question to our panel here. If infinity does exist, which, you know, there are a lot of signs to point that it, it does. How do you find value? How do you assign value in the infinite? Now, I have my answer to that, that, that I spent many years coming up against. But I'm curious for you to where do you find your meaning in that? How do you find value in that? You want me to go first, I guess? Oh, well, I guess, sure. There you go. It's like school. 
What is Kyle's I'll hand out the homework beforehand next time. I'm sorry, folks. Yeah, exactly. No, that's okay. Um, I guess the my knee jerk, you know, thought for that, Adam, was even infinite, even infinity is really just made up a series of moments. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's 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 from this moment to the next, from one day to the next, that just keeps sort of progressing onward and onward and onward. And, you know, there are stories that, you know, will carry, you know, but they'll fade over time, you know, um, and then maybe get dug up again. You know, there's, um, even though I'm not much of a, you know, Bible person, not that I, I'm not, but I mean, I, I've read it several times, but um, the one verse in there is that, you know, all that is seen has already been seen. All that is done has already been done. There's really nothing new under the sun. And that's, you know, and it's really true. It's just, there are just certain, you know, even though time raises on as it does until, you know, we don't know where this ends and that's okay. But even in that, you see themes that kind of resurface over and over, but then they're sort of reapplied in different ways. And I've never really thought of time as always something linear, you know, starting from necessarily point A to point B. I think things, there are points where it almost spirals, you know, and things kind of get revisited, but yet from a different vantage point to where, you know, I've been through this or I've seen this before, but now I'm either further above it and looking now from that vantage point, I can see it so much differently now, you know, and then when it loops back around, you're yet in another vantage point and it just, it, it, it gives up like a, in a sense, a bigger picture and something, you know, a bigger expanse to look at. And then, yeah, there is, you know, what's beyond the horizon. And sometimes I think the best part is, you know, you, you can be in the now, be where you are, but then look ahead in the distance and, wonder and i really think that's what the the gift of that is is the gift of wonder and it gives us the ability to imagine and you know to contemplate to do the things that separate us really from every crawling creature on the earth you know fish are great but i can't imagine any fish that swam around in a pond and thought I'd really like to elevate to being a bit better fish. You know, people do that. You know, we are the ones that, you know, build rockets that, you know, go into outer space and huge skyscrapers and, you know, building the better mousetrap or whatever it is, you know, we're writing, you know, we've been writing epics and Gilgamesh and poetry since who knows when. And it's just, you know, it's just that whole, that whole thing of being really just, a speck a, a grain of sand on this vast shore that just really can it, it does go on forever and not being able to see the end of that is again part of like i said the 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 gift of wonder so that's my answer bb bond to you i liked her so well <laughs> sorry i kind of waxed philosophic there well, for a minute so adam's the adam's the one with the absinthe i'm the one waxing philosophic so oh, i uh <laughs> I digress and I, I turn it over now to the rest of the panel. Oh, it's so good because I was like um, the Fibonacci sequence when you're mm-hmm. talking about that, you know, and just the eternal continuation of that and it's, it's numerical, be- beautiful, you know, sequential beauty. Um, I think for me, uh, and I'm trying to remember even what exactly you asked because I was so caught up. I was like, this is so good what Carla was saying. Can you reiterate so, one yes. more time? The question is, how do you personally assign value or purpose in the face of infinity? Purpose, okay, personally assign value in the face of infinity. I am very simplistic, so I will give you my very simplistic answer. Um, Facing down what I was raised to believe and wrestling with the truth that I came to within that, um, there's one thing that struck me above all else in in the things that I was taught which is in the beginning, people were meant to be in a garden, that it wasn't until something happened, a fall, that they were taken out of that garden. So maybe the purpose of all things was the beauty of living in a moment. 
And that's what I've sort of held on to as I've grappled with my faith and everything else is the beauty of being created for a moment, sort of like what Carla was sharing and and even what you shared, that idea of, and that's probably why I talked about the cocoa butter on my, you know, the skin, is this idea of, I really, I'm going to reference another poem as if I'm a real poet. <laughs> like, well, one of my other pieces, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> it makes me laugh when people do that, but I'm doing it now. But I have this uh, poem about um, breath and how that is, all we own is the single breath that we are in, that that is what is our singular um, possession on this earth. You know, we think we own a house or a car or a computer or anything else, but really all, all we have is each individual breath as it comes to us. And so I think that the meaning that I am finding in inf infinity and eternity is my job in the midst of it is to live each moment as beautifully and as fully as I possibly can. Um, and that's really what this was about because I, I didn't before I was anxious and I know even the Bible says, don't be anxious for anything, you know, but in everything by prayer and supplication, <laughs> you know, let your request be made. So I knew, okay, well, that's really how I'm supposed to act, but now I'm living it a bit more maybe. I love these answers. You guys are absolutely killing it. Uh, that that was fantastic. <laughs> I, I I will drop my understanding of, of that question before we move on to our next piece. So if you look at things in numbers, in the face of infinity, if you look at our individual human life, the size of Earth, uh, in the vast expanse of space, that goes on forever. If Earth were to be snuffed out right now, Mathematically speaking, we wouldn't be a blip on the radar. It, it, it wouldn't matter in the face of all that. So how do I assign value? You have to be able to take something that is that you're not able to quantify. And for me, that's on an emotional and a spiritual level. If I can then assign emotional and spiritual value to something that is greater than infinity, then it holds purpose. And and that's how I came to a comfortable understanding of where I am in, in all of this. Because if I say a kind word to someone or make someone's life just a little richer or help my wife understand how beautiful and amazing she is on a daily basis, if I can do that, then to me, that value is far greater than any number is possible. So it's basically exactly what you two said, put it in a much more convoluted, uh, annoying to listen to way. But yeah, uh, so. I pulled out the phone to put down a note because <laughs> I'm a poet and I was like, <laughs> receptacle of purpose. That is how I came to my comfortable understanding of how to assign value is take something that can't be assigned a value and and that's what i put my effort into so yeah we uh we solved infinity here on our poetry podcast uh up next you're welcome <laughs> what can oh, we goodness say sakes. except you're welcome <laughs> all right fantastic thank you guys for humoring me i do appreciate it uh i was like the question to... that really made my yeah. brain exercise thanks adam <laughs> absolutely I'd like to move on to page 70 and BB, if you would be so kind to read that for our audience. I would love to. She sat with him, afternoon sun spilling on their shoulders, glinting beads of sweat trailing across her clavicle, listening to the symphony of whispering insects singing ballads, tales of nectared honeycomb to swaying grass and wild coneflower. They sat, words with him not necessary here, emotion instead spilling, his eyes to hers, expressed in small pauses, returned glances. She listened, 
to this orchestral sound of passion expressed in fluted pitches and woods and woodwinds, what they knew, what was known, lingered on the tongue like the fading trajectory of the sun, all at once perceived and unfathomable, painted in the colors of an indescribable sunset. With this particular piece, and I adore it, by the way, one thing that really stands out to me above everything else, well, there are two things. One, the constant call back to musical terminology, which I definitely like a little more insight into. Okay. But the thing that hit me the hardest as soon as I started reading that was the very first line. And I held it up against every other piece in your book that I had gone over. Why is this in third person? I probably have an answer for that. <laughs> I hadn't a, ever thought of it, but yeah, I have an answer for it. Yeah, that's a standout for me because all the other pieces are extraordinarily, you know, I, which is a good thing when, when you, and third person isn't a good thing as well, but it seems like such an extraordinarily intimate piece that the third person really struck me. And I even wrote a note. I'm a sucker for writing notes in the book. I said, uh, why third person? I don't know if we can see that or not. It's in there. There we go. Why third, why third person? So I, I would like to know your insight on that, please. I think I do sometimes write as she, and I, I, when I do that, it's often things that are a little harder to say or to approach. Um, with this one, okay, so this is the truth of the poem. This was a moment with someone that I really love um, and they were on their phone. Ah, okay. That makes a lot of sense. So in that moment, let me get my armchair psychiatrist headband on. Yeah, it's good. In that moment, you felt removed from the situation. You felt as though this other individual was not present. And to you, you probably felt like they saw you as not present. So that's where the she comes into play instead of the I. Is that correct? Yeah. She was experiencing all that almost on her own. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. See, folks, pay attention to your pieces. Don't just read through them all willy nilly. You know, it's not fast food. For goodness sakes, it is a meal. Sit down and chew on that, that stuff for a while, because you can really pull out a lot of really interesting hints that the author is dropping about, you know, the history behind this piece. Yeah. So uh, would, would you mind digging into it a little bit more for us, please? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, you spoke about the musicality of it. Is that what you're uh, referring to or any part of it? Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, the musical uh, bit is um, I, I, play the piano and the guitar um, and drums. Uh, and I've played my whole life and uh, I actually went to school and minored in music composition. So sometimes I like to throw things and this doesn't have a lot of things, but um, play with the ideas of music. Um, I should do this because this is a podcast, right? This is where you plug your other stuff. Is that what Absolutely. So I'm like, working we shamelessly plug. So you, by all means, go ahead. <laughs> I'm working on a novel. <laughs> Who isn't? <laughs> but um, it's it's the magic in that world is music, and I'm and, and I feel a little bit like it's it's already been done now because I saw one or two things where it feels like that's been done. But I hold to the hope that mine hasn't been done quite that way. So um, uh, that I do like to throw music into things. So that's where that came from, and also. To be honest, where I was sitting, this it really true. There was like grass and wildflowers, like just it was it. It was the thing is we would we'd been heading somewhere and we pulled off for this phone call, um, and um, it was one of the most beautiful places that I'd ever. It just it was the middle of summer and I had a summer dress on and I felt real pretty. Um, and it was just to go to the grocery store, really. And um, 
it, the, the, the flowers were so tall and beautiful. And this is really, it just really felt like music. It felt like music there. And I got out of the car and just went and sat and I just couldn't believe it was almost like, because it's one of those places, you know, where you drive by it all the time. You know, like you drive by it all the time and you're like, then when you actually pull in, you don't realize that that's like a whole other world. And that's what it was like. There was a whole other world there. And it was a world where, where insects sang. They didn't just chirp, you know, they sang something and where it, every little sound had a meaning, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just noise. It was orchestrated. And I guess in that moment, it's what I wished for my life. Things felt a little out of control. And I loved the synchronicity of it, the beauty of it, the swaying of the, the grass and the reed there kind of by a little pond and the cone flower. And so it's I it's ironic that you picked this after the, the one that you picked about eternity, but this was a moment of purpose for me. I felt like I was meant to be there. So I think that's it was intentional. Yeah, and a lot of <laughs> times when I face those moments, music does come into it. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was reading those two pieces and I, I picked this one afterwards for that specific reason it felt almost like a sequel mm -hmm. in terms of mindset to me so i really wanted to visit it and i and i love what you're saying there about you know magic can be found in those small places yeah for sure uh I, this yesterday my, my sons and i i have these new instant cameras that i've picked up that i'm going around and shooting old abandoned places uh in town and around kentucky so I've been going on a lot of walks and I took my sons by the railroad tracks and we found this old path that leads down underneath the railroad tracks to a small creek. And they're up against this fence that was next to this house that had to have been around pre-World War, set a, a giant millstone just up against the fence, worn down from years and years and years of hard toil and work. And my brain started running, you know, what kind of lives were connected to this? How many hopes and dreams turned those handles? And it's just a little out of the way place, you know, that no one would really know it was there unless they went looking for it. And this particular piece, I think, really pays homage to those small places, those small moments. And I also love the fact that there's a bit of melancholy, I think, that comes through in this piece. Uh, but not necessarily in a heavy way, just sort of a a yearning, if that makes sense. If that makes sense. I don't uh, allow really, myself really... a lot of melancholy. I don't allow it, but this is definitely a very melancholy piece. <clears throat> Carla, what, what did you think about the piece as you were taking a look at it? I, um, again, I, I love being called to you know, the presence of a moment. And um, I'm kind of reminded, this was many, many years ago. This was before I was a wife, before I was a mother. And I was in upstate New York. Um, and it was my ex-husband and I's first visit up there. No, maybe second. No, I'm sorry. It was our first because we went up the first time in the summer. And around that area there's they still have villages and hamlets there which i absolutely love um but a lot of those places there's a lot of old farmland um and i love when something i read gives me something to remember or relate to personally because there was sort of one of those moments where you know there was an old one of those old um antique uh pickup trucks kind of in a field by an old dilapidated barn and, um, you know, all the overgrown grass around it. And it that's was a, late that's July. That's a Ray LaMontagne song right there. Exactly. And I mean, it was late, <laughs> it was late July, early August, and it was getting near sunset. So, and I love how that time of day kind of turns everything gold. And somehow, you know, we had pulled off for some reason. Um, I don't know what it was, but even if it was just to look at, the 
the scenery or maybe he had to, maybe he had to make a phone call. I, I don't remember what it was. And um, we were actually at that point, we we're in the, what was called the village of Casanova and, um, or excuse me, the Hamlet of Casanova. And uh, yeah, just, you know, having, you know, being removed, like you said, you're away, you're in a, you're in a strange place. And I think it's a, again, it's one of those gifts being, um, you know, whether it's a musician, a poet, a writer, an artist, you know, of any sort is that you can take something that really, I mean, that's mundane. Like how many hundreds of thousands of people have driven past that, but of that, probably only a fraction, like where you were, BB, when you were, you know, in that moment, how many people probably walk by there? You know, same thing with you, Adam, how many people have probably, you know, lots of people probably know that Creek, but how many people really view it the way that we do, you know, how those small moments really impact us. And not only that, but impact the work that we do. Like it's when you read a piece like this, you see what matters to the poet. And I think that that's so important, you know, is that when you see what matters to the poet and it's like, yeah, those things matter to me too. You know, it, it gives, it, it gives that relatable quality. So that's my, uh, that's my two cents, my five cents, whatever. My luck and change. I've been talking yeah. about my poems before, so this is like amazing. <laughs> Are we making you blush, BB? I love it. It's so nice. Thank you. You're welcome. It's it's absolutely an honor to have you on here. These are some great pieces, and I think that you know seriously, I, I love all the books that that we've had the pleasure of of covering here on the podcast. And there's not a single book that we have covered on the podcast that I wouldn't wholly recommend to a fellow writer to pick up. The absinthe is making my glasses fog up, so we're just going to take those off. But uh, this one there are a lot of times when you can read a piece and it changes you as a writer. And I think that this is a book that, that could definitely do that because it does honor to those moments. The next piece I would like to cover is 51. And uh, I'd like to read this one if that's all right. Of course. I love it. There is poetry there. I said to myself, hair up Saturday night, lavender bath, as a stream wafted, I wrestled with wayward adjectives and spent illusions. Compelling syllable and love into interlude, write sonnets, ink reveries, odes to solitude. There is poetry there. I argued with myself, fists out, ready to fight my demons who, as night deepened, feasted on faint joy, fattened indifference in small delusions. There's poetry there, perhaps, and yet tonight it goes unwritten. This silence will not relent. My note here uh, just says, I don't know why I keep showing the camera because it's not showing up, but it says the creative battle. And then I've got another one down there at the bottom that we'll get to here in just a second. I know what this means to me, BB. What does it mean to you? Well, it, it is, it is that battle with creativity. Um, and, and maybe a little uh, of the same sort of, um, I just kicked something at my house. I'm sorry. <laughs> a piece of paper underneath there. Um, it's um, a little bit of the idea upon writing this, gosh, I'm just gonna be like real. Um, I, at the point when this was being put out, I had more than one relationship in my life where I felt like I was constantly being ignored or there was just silence. Do you know how sometimes things stop growing? And mm -hmm. there's just silence. And it's not that Absolutely. companionable silence. Do you know what I mean? Like there's the companionable silence, which is like, oh, I love being with you. It's that silence where there's no response. And I think when I wrote this poem, I was feeling that way already talking about faith. I was feeling that in my faith walk. I was feeling it in my family. I was feeling it in my interpersonal, you know, romantic relationships. And then suddenly 
all of that culminated in this moment where I, and I do often write in the bathtub, like anyone who, who knows me well knows that, that I often, that's, I'm a Pisces moon. So that's just where I hang. I just love to be in, in water. <laughs> so I often sit in there and that is my final straw. If I cannot write something in the bath, then we are not writing it. You know what I mean? And I remember the night that I wrote this was in the bath <laughs> and it, it felt that way. My whole life felt that way. So it was almost an encapsulation of, of not only that creative battle, but how so often that creative battle mirrors our lives. Because I think a lot of times when someone comes to me and they say, I have writer's block, I'll ask, what else is blocked? <laughs> You know, what else is going on? Because it's usually not just writer's block. Those go hand in hand. I have a theory about this piece. BB, feel free to tell me if I'm full of shit here. This silence is a demon. It's one of your personal demons. And the reason I have this theory is this silence is capitalized. And you don't do that unless it's a proper place or a name. Bullseye on that one or am I off? Yeah, no, you really, it's interesting that you're picking up on something that um, I didn't realize was so obvious <laughs> in my book. You're pretty good at this, you guys. Uh, but um, uh, my father, a lot of, he shows up a lot and it's not him that's showing up here. It's the thing that he seeded into me when I was very young. Um you know, and when we get into the last poem that I know you want to talk about, it'll come out, you know, this is some of the battles that I had with him. But um, one of the battles that I faced with my father was a constant, and a lot of us have faced it, um, is just a constant uh, not thereness, right? The silence. Um, and so you start to feel unworthy when people have maybe put that in you when you're younger and you start looking for something to fill the silence, music, poetry, conversation, um, a television show, whatever that is to fill the silence. Um, because the last thing that you want to do is look into silence. And there's a series of poems I've written that I, I haven't really ever posted maybe early on they're micros, but they're all to silence and they're treating silence as a companion because I, I did have to come to grips at a certain point in my life with the idea that, um, oh, golly, Nat, I'm so sorry. Um, let me just mute that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're good. You're it's good. just oh, the universe agreeing with you. That doesn't exactly. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Love you, mom. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> mom, if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so that's sort of where some of that comes from. And and when I have to look at it, Adam, as, as you're saying, when I have to look at it, it's it scares me. It scares me. And that's that's why that's there that way. Yeah. I think that's a healthy thing for a lot of writers. I think a lot of writers are so obsessed with their routine in regards to writing a piece. They have to have a certain type of music on. They got to have a certain type of lighting on, yada, yada, yada. And while a lot of the folks, I think, feel as though that enhances their creative process, just sitting with yourself in the quiet will do more for you in regards to introspection and growth than anything else you can do to try and, and you know, kind of spur those muses on. So I, uh, yeah, that that really stood out to me. This this piece as a whole, I said, I said to myself, this isn't just about your standard writer's block. Something goes a little deeper here. That's a character in this poem. It's not just an end note. It's not just an end line. Uh, this is probably the antagonist of this poem. And uh, I really life. love how you have it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I really love how you have it laid out here, though. Thank you. Absolutely. Let's, uh, just for the sake of time, I, I have like two more pieces that I wanted to go over, but I want to cover Carved. Uh, I think it's important. I think it's important for the rest of this book. I think it gives uh, 
a good understanding of, of what the journey is about in this book. And uh, I definitely want to cover this piece. Um, Bibi, would you mind reading this? No, happy to. Carved. I sit. Wooden, flesh, and stone. Ponder. Carved. Whittled. Sliced. Hewn. The nature of carved. The structural nature of inflicted damage. Purposeful or no. Scarred. Irrefutable lineage of pain or change. Cutting. Carved. Bruises heal. Wounds always leave a trace. Cellular DNA. Seen, surfaced, a tree may grow around the puncture layered ring upon ring, but in death and deeper cutting, it is clearly seen. Carved. Visible. Shaped stone stays as shaped, owning the form imparted by chisel by blade only ever dissipates migrating form into dust. I suppose the same is true of us. Carved. I too, wooden flesh and stone wonder, carved, artifice, artifact, art, or just bonded to the past in inescapable patterns on my skin. This particular piece <clears throat> reminded me of an art project in high school. Now, stay with me. I promise this is going to make sense. We had to illustrate and write a children's book. And when I was in my senior year of high school, I did a book called Hollow Boy. And it was about a sculpture. It was about a plaster cast sculpture that wasn't happy with its, its form. It, it felt like its artist did a poor job of putting it together. So it started trying to move and vibrate and, and change and little by little parts of its imperfections would fall off a rough edge would slough off here uh, imperfect hand would start to form a little bit better there and inevitably the the statue became so obsessed with its own its own task its own crusade for perfecting itself that it started to crack those rough edges that were once soft and rounded through its efforts became split and he would lose a hand and then he would lose another hand and then his face would start to crumble. It's a great children's book, but you get, you get the concept that I'm going for here. And the imagery here is very much anti-human in the fact that a human is not carved. A human is not cut into, they are not hewn, but, Someone who goes through, and I, I wrote down the phrase generational trauma here uh, next to the piece, especially in the lines in regards to the DNA, uh, an individual who goes through that sort of, I'll use the term grooming, understands what it's like to be forced into a very specific mold. And I think that this piece does justice to that, that concept. Uh, I love the line here. A tree may grow around the punctured layer rings upon ring, but in death and deeper cutting, it is clearly seen. Something that I've talked about in regards to my own uh, mental health journey is I think in a lot of ways, a sufferer of trauma is much like an addict. We are never cured. We learn to live life as best as we can, one foot in front of the other. And regardless of how together we feel, regardless of the relationships that we grow, that's always in the background. It's in our DNA. And because of that, we make choices that we wouldn't necessarily make otherwise. We have hangups that we wouldn't have had had we been grown correctly and with care mm -hmm. and, and tenderness and understanding. And uh, as a trauma survivor, and Carla, I know that this is something that you can relate to as well. It speaks deeply to me. And I appreciate that it's done in a tender way. Because uh, a lot of times, you know, and, and I've even written very, very difficult pieces. Yeah. But not everyone is in the process of their journey where they can read those difficult pieces. 
those those very blunt kind of hard to read pieces, but this feels like it's done in a a gentle way that that someone who's going through this sort of thing could be very receptive to. And uh, I deeply appreciate the piece. Yeah, that was really incredible. And I think, Adam, you may remember this. Was it with Ben? When we did Ben's episode that I talked about the topography of the soul? I think so. Maybe. I think, so. I think that was, yeah, I don't My memory is not what it should be or what it used to be. But, um, and I think, yeah, the, the I, I'm thinking about that again, you know, it's applied here in a very different way because it's, you know, you're talking about, you know, something like carved wood, carved stone, um, things that in essence are organic, like we are. Um, but again, we don't get chiseled and, and, and whittled and sanded uh, and polished in the way that other things do. But ours is a little more of a metaphoric, you know, chiseling, carving. Um, but I think, too, that there's both a positive and a negative spin that can be on that. Because if you look at it in the sense of, you know, taking something as, you know, taking it as a damage, you know, um, like the lightning hitting the tree and the rings that grow over it. But when you cut in, you can see where the damage had happened. Um, but at the same time, we also have, you know, the real healing part, I think, is, you know, wherever those rough edges did occur, you know, where we did get chipped instead of, you know, gently carved. Um, you know, we can smooth out those edges on our own. And sometimes, you know, we have help in that, whether it's from, you know, our more positive relationships, support persons, you know, advocates, whatever, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. Um, that, yeah, while it is a do, a, you be, a do the best you can one step at a time, you know, one foot in front of the other. Um, I have, a, I guess you could say a greater hope that you know to get in and do the rewiring in a sense you know to you know all the 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 chips and the the cuts and the the scars will be there but i could you know sc even scars fade over time and you know things can be repurposed and redone so I actually see as as much as I understand where it comes from, I also get a vein of optimism from this. You know, there's a there's there's still a hope in that because if we could be affected that way by the negatives, imagine what we could do with the right tools for the right purpose, you know, or for a healthier purpose, so to speak. So that's what that's again, that's my buck and change. <laughs> I like it. It's sort of like the concept of pruning a plant, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can have harmful pruning and you can have healthy pruning. Right. I think that the, both of those can definitely occur for sure. That's a great point, Carla. Bibi, would you mind giving us a little bit of insight into this piece uh, as we wrap up our episode? I sure would. Um, but just before, thank you so much, both of you, for just your analysis and your kindness. And it just means a lot. I don't often get that. Um, so I'm, my poems are got weird punctuation and not a lot of people want to read them out loud anyway. So it's been really pleasant for me tonight. Um, this piece was written, um, I want to say I started it at one point and finished it at another. I'm trying to remember exactly how it came to be, but the, um, thread behind it, right? A little bit of the thread behind it is, um, I do have marks on my skin um, from my father and uh, my dad, without going into like all the trauma history, right? Um, my dad grew up in a family that was extremely abusive. Um, the whole alcoholism, cigarette burning, his mom sent him out the door at, I think, 14 with a condom, that, that kind of stuff, you know, that is like, Hey, go have, have at it, which I, maybe that's responsible. I don't know. 
but didn't save some at the time from her. I don't know. But his dad was an alcoholic. My mom's father was an alcoholic. And both my parents, I, I don't know if you guys believe in astrological signs, but they were both fire signs. So if you can just imagine that together in a house where both of them have come from abusive situations, there was constant eruptions, constant fighting. Um, and at the same time, my father had massive health issues. During was the one of them an Aries out of curiosity? Oh, yeah. <laughs> An Aries and Leo, <laughs> and I'm a Sagittarius, so. As am I. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. I knew I liked you. Okay. So um, they they were at each other all the time with their own things. Um, and my father had um, 54 major surgeries through the course of his life. He had a brain tumor. He had a quadruple bypass. He had part of his intestine removed. So they're not like small thing. Cancer. So this was constant in my life. My dad was always sick. I would wake up in the morning and someone I didn't know would be in the kitchen watching as kids because dad was almost dead in the hospital. You know, that was over. That would be, con that was constant. So there's this constant thing. My mom was turning to alcohol. My dad was turning to pain pills. They couldn't get along. And here I was in the middle of that. And um, my father took out his physical, sexual, and emotional abuse on me. There's his frustration from his past on me. And um, I didn't really deal with that very well. And I had a temper and there was a lot of that. And I, I repressed a lot. And as I got older, I started to deal with that. But this was written as I sat waiting to change the colonoscopy bag for my father before he passed because he lost the use of his legs about 15 years before he passed and he was bedridden for about four. And the man that did those things to me at the end, I was taken care of with my mom and I had to learn forgiveness. And this is that idea in looking at those wounds internally and externally on my skin and that family tree that line that came down through my family and people don't see it when they look at me. You know, a lot of times people look at, and that's how it's been most of my life. People look at me and they're like, you're so fun. You're upbeat. You've never must be nice. You've never been through anything, you know? And I just don't say it a lot about it because I, I do agree with a lot of what Carla was talking about, that sort of optimism. There is that in me. I don't feel like, there's something that comes that, and I'm, I don't try not to talk too long because I know you guys have a time schedule. So, um, I don't care what any, I don't care what life hands me. It doesn't define me. What I define me, every choice I make defines me. And what my dad did doesn't define me. I define me. What happened to me? has shaped me and I acknowledge those wounds. And like you said, Adam, who knows what it would have been without the wounds, but I like me. I, I like who I am. And so it was kind of that looking at that, that idea of wooden flesh and stone, that there's these two things here. There's this heart of stone, a heart of flesh that I played with a little bit in the book. And then there's this idea of the carved tree in the wood and trees have always meant so much to me. I used to talk to them when I was a kid, like a dork, and I still do now. And, and I have a lot of love and passion for nature. And so that kind of as I, as I sat and I sort of waited for that moment, this was forming in me, understanding that he'd been formed. And who knows what he would have been. He was very good looking. He was very pleasant. He was very wise in a lot of ways, intelligent. What he could have been and imparting a grace of sorts. And then when I got to the part where it says, Shaped, owning the form, imparted by chisel, by blade, only ever dissipates, migrating form into dust. I suppose the same is true of us. That's that idea of we're all headed on the same journey, really. It doesn't matter the shaping tools. Something's going to shape you. Whether it's trauma, whether it's positive or negative, whatever it is, it's going to shape you. We we are going to be shaped. We're pebbles in a stream. And... Am I willing to allow myself to become 
something beautiful, something sculpturally beautiful out of this. So yeah, that's sort of what that's about. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you truly for just being honest. Uh, that's a confession I, I've had to make myself and it's something that I have gotten to the point where I'm relatively open about it, but I know it's not easy. I know it's mm -hmm. not. Uh, went, went through the same thing myself and, you know, he, my dad, uh, was also in the same sort of household. That's the beautiful thing about growth though, is like you said, it doesn't have to define us and we can choose. We have to be intentional with the people that we're, we're going to be. And, uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been an absolute treat. Um, before we take off, would you mind letting our listeners know again who you are, where you can be found, where your book can be purchased, and any projects on the horizon? Okay. Well, I'm Bibi Ezra. You can call me Bibi. And uh, you can find me at Instagram at Bibi Ezra Writes and Speaks, which is really long because I like crashed and burned my other account. So now I have this one. And, um, uh, I, my book is available on Amazon. I think it's everywhere. I know that people have bought it in Australia and India. So I think you can get it pretty much anywhere. Um, and I am currently working on a second book, um, not just my novel series, but one called Pressed, which are the um, more current poems that I'm working with and will have a lot of flower imagery in it. Hey, <laughs> you know, nobody writes poems about flowers. So I'm going to be the first. <laughs> <laughs> it's about presence as we stated earlier presence yes. i'm sure your presence will uh, carry that for sure <laughs> folks this has been the shadow eraser poetry podcast hour and uh we just got done speaking with again bbs writes and speaks uh make sure you swing by and pick up a copy of carved uh we can be found at uh shadow underscore eraser on Instagram. Is that correct? I got it right. You got it right, Adam. Yeah, I, I didn't flub it up this time. And uh, our website is this one. I won't remember. Carla, help me out here. www.shadowyracerpoetry.com. How do I not remember that? It's so simple. It's so simple. That means you guys should go check it out and, and check out our stuff. BB, uh, hopefully we'll have you on for your next book. It'd be a, a pleasure to have you back. Guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, it's our pleasure to be able to bring some of the best writers on Instagram to your ears. Be kind to each other and be kind to yourselves. Good night, all. <laughs>